0: How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, anybody excited to be in God's house? I know there's a lot of places you could be on this Wednesday night, but I'm so glad that you're here, and uh, I believe that God has something for us. I really, really do. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that this Saturday at 8 o'clock is our men's breakfast. So fellas, come on, get out of bed, head to to the church this Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Also... If you signed up to help in the prison fellowship ministry that we talked about just two Sundays ago, I think, that badge training is this Sunday as well. So be sure you get signed up, you get here, 8.30 is when the badge training starts here in the Kid 56 room. So two things, guys. Sound good? And then I think the next Saturday is a women's breakfast and always a lot going on here at Dream City Church. And tonight we are on part two of this series called... Uh, dream on purpose, and Sunday morning we talked about that you're going to have to take some tests in life if you're going to get from just dreaming dreams to walking in the destinies and the purposes that God has for your life. And how many of you in this room tonight know that God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life? Man, he does. It's really... uh, I talk with a lot of people throughout every week, and uh, I hear a lot of bad news and a lot of negative things going on in people's life, but I also get to hear um, some of the most beautiful testimonies of just the incredible love that God has for us and the extreme great lengths that he goes to orchestrate things, put things in place. It, it just it really never gets old to see how God really does take what the enemy meant for evil in our lives. And, man, he twists it and weaves it, and, and he turns it into something so wonderful. He's doing that in all of your lives. He really is. We're still looking at Joseph, the life of Joseph. Last week we talked about, Sunday morning we talked about the. Uh, Joseph had to pass the pride test in his life, and uh, I heard a lot of you say, you were stepping on my toes, Pastor. Well, I was stepping on my own toes, Uh, and and the Holy Spirit continues to step on my toes throughout the week as I've thought back over that sermon. But tonight I want to start in Genesis 37, starting in verse 12 through 24. I want to read this portion to you. It says, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem, When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. He was lost What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go down to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him. Into the cistern. Friends, I, I want to tell you tonight that if you are going to let God move in your life, and if you're going to move from just dreaming dreams to walking into the destiny that God has for your life, you are going to have to pass the pride test. You are also going to have to pass the pit test. And that's what I want to focus in on tonight the pit test. Well, Mark, how do I know if I'm in the pit? Well, it's been my experience that you know you're taking the pit test. You're in the middle of the pit when nothing in your life seems to be going right. No matter what you do. do. I have a witness from the congregation this evening. Can anybody identify with no matter what I do, with no matter what I pray, with no matter which direction I turn, nothing seems to be going right. I wish it was a little different, but I'm telling you, Every one of us is going to have to go through the pit test at some point in our life if we're going to get to where God wants us to be. The question is, is are you going to get out of that pit once you get in it and continue on into the next things God has for you? I want to answer a few questions concerning the pit tonight. I want to talk about why I'm in the pit. I want to talk about the lies you're going to hear in the pit. And then I want to talk about the purpose of the pit. So question number one, why am I in this dadgum, dark, smelly, cold pit? Why am I in this pit? Well, we're all gonna have to go there for some reason, but it's it's important to establish why am I in this pit? And I think there's two options tonight of why we find ourselves in pits. Option number one is because that's just life. (laughs) That's life, friends. And Jesus knew that this was the case, and he wanted to tell you up front. He wanted to straight up forward before you started this journey in John sixteen thirty three, He told us, I have told you all this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you might have an occasional tough time. Hold up, that's not at all what that scripture says. Here on earth, you say it with me. Will have you? You will have. This scripture is for you tonight, friends. You will have. Oh, I don't like that next word. Many. You will have many trials and sorrows. You will have, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Friends, being a believer doesn't make you immune to hardships. I'm gonna say it one more time just to make sure you get it tonight. Being a believer doesn't make you immune, doesn't disqualify you, put any other verb or adjective or adverb in there. It doesn't make you immune to hardships. Can I say that actually I believe that being a believer, it might actually do just the opposite, Because when you're going wholehearted after God, you have a target on your back. Friend, That's the absolute case. Here's what you need to realize. If the devil isn't messing with you, then that probably means that you're not messing with him. Because the devil doesn't like you. Do you think the devil likes what this church is doing? Do you think the devil's cheering Mark Hennon on today? Do you think he's my number one fan? You don't think he's orchestrating schemes and attacks to come against me, to come against my family, to come against the staff, to come against you? Friends, that's his job. Why does the devil hate me so much? Because I'm a hope dealer. I'm like the the Christian version of Heisenberg, baby. I mean, I am slinging hope and love and compassion everywhere I go. We're making a difference in the world. That was for you tonight, Nick, come on, baby. Breaking Bad, watch it if you haven't, friends. One of the greatest shows of all time. He doesn't want you making a difference in the world. So not only does it not make you immune to hardships, it puts a target on your back friends it truly does i used to live with so much frustration i used to live with so much disappointment so much disillusionment why aren't things just working out for me cuz i'm a child of god man you you heard what i said about myself sunday morning and all that was true man i'm blessed I'm loved, I'm called, I'm chosen, I'm an overcomer, I'm the head, I'm not the tail, I'm above, I'm not. All those things are true. So if all of that's true, well then things should just work out, right? No. I used to live with so much frustration and disappointment and disillusionment. God, why isn't this working? God, where are you? God, God, why then? Until I finally embraced the reality that changed my life, friends, is that life is hard, period, whether you're a believer, whether you're lost, whether you're full of faith, whether you're, life is hard, he told us that, in this world you will have many, life's hard, friends, so maybe you're in a pit tonight, and things aren't working out, and you're frustrated, and you're disappointed, and maybe it's just life, Maybe it's just tough. What do you need to do in those situations? Well, you just keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, and God's going to take care of it, right? There's no quick fix. There's no magic solution. It's just life. The second option is maybe, just maybe, I played a role in being in this pit. Maybe. I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes tonight. This is the, the hardest pill to swallow sometimes, because it's so much easier to buy to buy into the belief that I'm the victim. Right? I mean, I'm the victim. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't deserve this pit. I'm the victim here, right? These people are the issue. Not me. I'm not the issue. Imagine being in Joseph's shoes. Okay? Imagine Joseph talking to himself. Okay? It's not my fault that my dad loves me the most. What did Joseph do? He, he was just born. It's not his fault that his mom was Rachel, which was Jacob's favorite wife. It's not his fault that he was born in that old age of his dad. Like, he he didn't have nothing to do with that whatsoever. He was just born. How is that his fault? It's not my fault that my dad gave me this coat. Like, it's not that Joseph went and said, hey, make me a coat and don't do it for any of the other brothers. He didn't do that. That wasn't Joseph's fault. Wasn't his fault that, that God gave him these dreams, right? I mean, all he did was went to sleep. You can't fault a fellow for going to sleep at night, right? He didn't ask his dad to go check on his brothers. He, he didn't do any of those things. So absolutely, Joseph could get in this place that says, like, I haven't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, like, I'm just a victim. And when you buy into the victim mentality, I promise you the enemy will give you more and more supporting evidence. He will. To go along with that mindset, to prove you really are the victim. Whew. You really are. And the victim mentality is so much like unforgiveness in the sense of when you allow it to get a root in your life, it's never content just to stay in that one place. Just like unforgiveness, that victim mentality will spread. Oh, it will spread. And guess what? You will always be the victim in every situation, and everyone will be the one victimizing. Not, not the people that hurt you, not the people that did you wrong. No, when you buy into that mentality, they, it be, that's what you become. You're the victim. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every relationship, they have done you wrong, and they owe you. So it warps the mentality of the believer 100%. Believers are supposed to be doers. Believers are supposed to be givers. Believers are supposed to be problem solvers. They're supposed to be the ones out there doing it. When you have the victim mentality, you're isolated, you're stationary, and you're not giving. That hand's always out. You owe me. You owe me. The government owes me. My mama owes me. My daddy owes me. The church owes me. You wouldn't believe how many people are furious at me every week because I won't pay their $1,000 electric bill. I didn't live in your house. (laughs) I didn't enjoy that heater. It's not my bill. I don't owe. Now, we pay all sorts of bills, and we do all sorts of nice things. But when you're mad because somebody won't pay for something that they didn't use you might have the victim mentality (laughs) so it's time to take some honest inventory of your life friends that maybe just maybe joseph could have handled things a little bit differently maybe maybe just you know it's crazy talk but maybe just maybe joseph was a little prideful and a little arrogant Maybe he shouldn't have worn that coat every single day, rubbing it in his brother's face. Maybe he could have been a little more aware of how his actions were affecting his brother's and how detrimental that was, maybe, okay? Now, listen, coming to terms with that is not accepting total blame. It's not. Joseph saying like, hey, I did some things wrong. It's, it's not accepting total blame. There's never a right time to throw your brother in a pit, Right? I mean, that, that's, that there's never a good reason to kill your sibling. But at least when you get to that place, you're humble enough to admit that I played a role in it. Maybe I'm in this pit. Sure, some things happened to me. Sure, people did me wrong. But maybe I played a role in that too. And now when you come to that realization, you can begin to ask yourself some real questions like, what can I learn from this pit and what can I do differently in life when I get on up out of this pit. Are you with me tonight, church? Are you still glad you came this evening? (laughs) Okay. The second thing we need to address about life in the pit is when you're in the pit, I believe you're going to hear three different types of lies. And when you're in a pit, you are weak, you are vulnerable, you're not thinking clearly, you're not healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it's prime time when you're in the pit for the enemy to wreak some havoc in your life. Okay, I can speak from experience. I, I have some pit experience. So I think you're gonna hear three kinds of lies that you need to be aware of. So when you're in a pit now or the next time you're in a pit, it's gonna be so much easier for you to crawl out of there, friends. The first kind of lie that you're gonna encounter in the pit is you're gonna encounter the lies that we create, you yourself, the lies that you create. Let me give you an example. I had a man come up to me several years ago, he was very emotional. He, You could tell he was just stressed to the absolute max. I mean, the guy looked like he hadn't slept in weeks. And this is what he says. He says, Pastor, whew, I was watching you during the service the other night, and I could just tell by your facial expression you were upset. And I, I knew it was about me. I just, I, I knew it was, and... Oh, man, I and after the service, normally you 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 get a chance to visit with me, but not that night. Uh, I mean, you 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 didn't speak to me, you didn't look at me, and I, I've been stressing out and I've been losing sleep. So I'm just coming tonight to just say, like, whatever I've done to really damage our relationship, man, I just want to make it right. And do you know what I said to the man? I'm. I have no idea what you're talking about. Clue I had no idea. I wasn't mad during the service. Sure as heck wasn't mad at him. If 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 my face was ugly, like I there was absolutely no truth to the situation. And the man had put himself through hell for weeks over nothing. But when you're in a pit you're not healthy mentally and you're not healthy emotionally you can create all sorts of lies that seem very 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 real and again the enemy will come in and he will give you little nuggets and little seeds to reinforce see i told you you just drove past pastor mark he didn't wave at you he's so mad <laughs> He didn't give you a hug at Walmart. He's furious that you should probably leave the church. He's given up on you. He doesn't love you. I mean, it's crazy. Honestly, if you know you're in a pit, here's what you need, friends. You need somebody that you love and that you trust. You need an is this real person in your life. Somebody that you know that you can go to and say, hey, I'm feeling this. I'm struggling with this. I just want to add, like, is this real? Is this real? It feels real, but is it somebody that you, can, that you know loves you and can say, that's not real at all. Like, you completely made that up. How many in the room has fallen into the trap of lying to yourself? Come on, get those hands up. The rest of you are lying to yourself right now. <laughs> You've all done it. The second lie you're going to encounter is the pit is you are going to encounter lies about you lies about you in the pit the enemy is a liar he is an accuser of the brother that's what he does that's his bread and butter and when you're in a pit you're going to hear things like this you always mess things up you're never good enough well here we go again par for the course for you isn't it these are the lies that you begin to hear about yourself. So you need to establish in your heart tonight this truth, that the, 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 the that kind of condemnation, those kind of accusations, that's not the voice of the Lord in your life. It may be a voice, it may be loud, and it probably will be clear, but that is not the the voice of the Lord speaking to you. John 3, 16, 17 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 17, for God did not, that's as clear as we can make it, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Condemnation is never from Jesus. Condemnation is never the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, but He never brings condemnation. Well, how do I know what the difference is? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna put it on the screen to help you remember. Take a picture of it. Condemnation. These words are general. What do you mean by that? What I just said, you always mess things up. Well, no, you don't. That's not true. That's a general, vague analogy. Here you go again, always doing the wrong. No, you don't always. So the enemy speaks in generalities because he wants to help steal your identity, sum up all your mess ups as if that's what you always do. So it's general. Condemnation is always hurtful. It's always detrimental. Always. And condemnation pushes you away from God. These feelings of guilt, shame, like you got to go run and hide somewhere, that's condemnation, friends. That's not what, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Conviction, the Holy Spirit speaks to you in specifics. He doesn't say, you always mess up, you loser. No. He says, Mark, is that really how you should have handled that situation with your family? Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember. It, it's specific. It's it's certain instances that he speaks in your life. It, it, it's it's not hurtful when the Holy Spirit speaks to your life. He offers hope. Mark, is that really what you should have done with your family? Now, go apologize, make it right, and I'll fix it. Like there's hope attached to it, and conviction draws you closer to Jesus. This feeling, like, hey, you messed up. Come on, come here. It's going to be all right. We're going to work through it. We're going to get past it. You're going to get better. You're not going to struggle with this forever. It's okay. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? So when you start hearing those lies, this is how you need to process this. Is this the enemy speaking or is this the Holy Spirit working in my life? The third type of lie you're going to hear in the pit is you're going to hear lies about God. And this is where you need to be very careful, friend, because, again, in the pit, there is some evidence that supports what the enemy's saying. When he says, wow, look at all that God's done for you. Wow, this is, this is good. Wow, he really, um, wow, you lost your job? filing <laughs> for bankruptcy? Man, he really is a good God, isn't he? All right. Man, is this what love from God really looks like? Because it's not how I show love to people in my life. I'm, he's planting these seeds of doubt. He's making you question God. And what the enemy really wants you to do when you're in the pit is focus on the current circumstances and get your eyes off of all the previous encounters with God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's love. Because as long as you're focusing on the terrible things that are happening right now, he can convince you that God really isn't who he says he is. When you lose some of those core beliefs and values, friends, it's the enemy's playground in your life. It truly is. So I'm challenging you tonight, you have to establish some non-negotiables in your life. I mean, some things that you write in stone on your heart that no matter what comes, I know this to be true. You can never convince me otherwise, friends. Here's here's some non-negotiables you need to establish in your life not just for in the pit, but for everyday life, you need to establish that God is good. He's good. He can only be good. He only does good things. He's not the creator of bad or evil. God is good. He's so good that he's able to take bad things and make them good. Like, he's nothing but good. You have to establish that in your life because there's plenty of things that don't look good. It's not God, God is good. God is love, period. It's his nature. It's not an attribute of who he is, it's who he is. The two can never be separated. They're indistinguishable. God is love and he's always working for my good because he loves me and he has good plans and good purposes. You have to establish that God always has your best in mind. Because there's going to be plenty of opportunities to say, like, man, this doesn't feel like God's working for my, for my good. Like, this is what's best for my life, God. That's why you have to have these things established. I may not see those non-negotiables now. But if I don't see them now, it's just because I can't see the full picture. And if I can't see them now, but I know that they're real, then that must mean that I'm about to see them. I just currently can't see him today. But give it a few weeks, give it a few months, you look back and you're like, oh, right? I mean, we've been there, right? You go through hell. You're crying out, God, where are you? Why is this? Why is that? What about? I mean, you're going through it until God gets you on the other side and you're able to look back and say, oh, that's why. Oh, he really was there. Oh, he really was working for you. Turns out, friends, God really knows what he's doing, Right? It's incredible. So you're going to encounter some lies, and you got to have those non-negotiables established in your life if you're going to get out of the pit. And not just dream dreams, but walk in your destiny. Lastly, friends, I want you to know tonight the purpose of the pit. Why does God put us in the pit? Why do we put ourselves in the pit? Well, God always has a hand in it. There's a man in the Bible named Jonah. And Jonah knew a little bit about being in a pit. Uh, His was more like an aquatic version. But a pit nonetheless. The Lord told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no. (laughs) Like just straight up, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, not doing it. So he goes the other way. Storm comes, guys throw him out of the boat. A giant fish swallows Jonah Stays in the fish for three days. I mean, that, that's a serious pit. Uh-huh. What's the purpose of the pit? Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because I was really sorry and I was feeling regretful for my decisions and I knew that I should have done something different. That, it's not at all why Jonah cried out. I cried out because of my affliction. That's why I cried out, cause I got so stinking desperate. And I got so stinking miserable that I had no other reasonable option. So I thought, what the heck, I better cry out to Jesus. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. The purpose of the pit, friends, you have to understand tonight, is that the pit isn't punishment. It's not punishment. You're not in trouble. He's not mad at you. The pit is Love, because he loves you enough to leave you in the pit for a little while until you can get some things worked out in your life, right? That's not anger. That's not being mean or ugly. That's what love is. Listen, the pit kills you in order to save your life. That's the purpose of the pit. Think about that for a second. The pit kills you in order to really save your life. Yeah, because if we're going to move from dream to destiny, we have to die to me. You you have to die to you. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily daily. And follow me. The cross is that symbol of death, of sacrifice, of laying your life down. There's no other way to follow Jesus. There's no other way to walk in your destiny. You have to die to you. To your wants, your desires, your sinful ways, that selfishness, that pride, that self sufficiency, that independence, that insecurity, those hurts, those wounds, those victim mentalities that you brought on, those addictions, whatever it is in your life that's holding you back, you gotta die to those things. And that's what the pit's for, friend. He lets you get desperate enough. start crying out to Jesus you have to know that the pit is working a much deeper purpose in your life God knew the plans and purposes he had for Joseph more than Joseph knew them. he was the creator of those plans he was the giver of those dreams God also knew Joseph wasn't ready That there's no way he could accomplish the things he had to accomplish unless he got in that pit and let God work some things in him and some things out of him, friends. The pit is not your enemy tonight. It feels like your enemy, am I right? We don't care for it. The pit's your best friend. See, 15 years ago, God, I don't even remember, the Lord sent me to a pit for three years, and it was the worst, most miserable three years of my entire existence, where I trusted God, where I stepped out in faith, where I thought for sure I was doing God's will. And like I described earlier, you know you're in a pit when nothing is working out. When everything is going wrong, friends, that's when you know you're in the pit. And that's where I was for three years. The years leading up to that, everything I touched, God blessed. Everything I did prospered. And, like, that's where I developed these mindsets of, like, man, things just work out for Mark Hinnon. woo I'm God's favorite, yeah. Then you go to the pit for a little bit. You're still praying. You're still seeking God. You're still doing all the same things that you always did, except this time it ain't working. So you start to get a little disillusioned. Because failure on top of failure on top of failure on top of failure on top of disappointment on top of disappointment on top of disappointment. The enemy starts whispering, is God really as good as you think he is? Well, sure don't look like it. Sure don't seem like it. Sure, I mean, is God really as faithful as you thought he was? Well, I don't know that he is, right? Couldn't get a job for years. And we're getting poorer and poorer and poorer, and we're struggling more and more, and the savings account's getting less and less and less, and you're applying for jobs. No one's calling back, right? So you start applying for lesser jobs, ones that you don't really like. And and over a year and a half, two years, do you know I never even got a call back from a job? Never even in a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Interview. So I started applying at McDonald's. And I started applying at being a cart pusher at Walmart. And then I started applying to be like a dishwasher at a Mexican restaurant. Not I'm a man of God. And I'm blessed. And I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not. Ben- I mean, all those things I thought were true, but none of those things were happening in my life. Okay? As God just one by one stripped me of everything that was me. And it was so unbelievably painful and so unbelievably miserable, right? But I had no idea how much pride Mark Hinnon really had. And I had no idea how much arrogance I had. I had no idea how much self-sufficiency I had. I had no idea how much independence I had. God wasn't interested exactly in those three years. I mean, it was part of the process. But what he was really interested in was like the 12 years later, which is today. Because God knew, this guy's got to learn to trust me in a way like he's never trusted me before. Come on this guy's got to learn that it's not in his strength or his abilities. It's only, man, he has to depend on me because he's going to face some stuff. And he's going to go through the the pressure cooker. And he's going to know stress and responsibility like he can't even imagine today. I thought I was ready then. Turns out I wasn't even a little bit ready. But God put me in the pit because he was getting me ready for the next things he had for my life. Back then, I was just dreaming dreams. Today, I'm walking in my destiny, friends. Now, do I want to, like, hurry back and relive those three years because they were so great? Listen to me. Heck no. I don't ever want to go back to those things. But listen, friends, God wasn't punishing me. It was the opposite. Can I tell you that God was actually answering my prayers? It was my fault. Because I had prayed, God, I want your will no matter what. Dangerous prayer, friends. (laughs) You start throwing the no matter what at the end of them prayers, you better watch out. God, whatever you got to do, I want your perfect will. God, I want to be the man you've called me to be and I want to accomplish everything, everything that you put me on this earth to do. God said, okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's the purpose of the pit in our lives, friends. So when you're in the pit, what should you be praying while you're in the pit? What you need to be praying while you're in the pit is this. God, keep me here in this pit until all the work you want to do is done. Keep me here in this pit until all the work you want to do is done. That's not a popular prayer either. When stuff gets hard, the first thing we want to do, God, get me out of here. Get me out of this job. Get me out of this house. Get me out of this relationship. Get me out of this church. Get me, get me out of this. It's uncomfortable and I don't like it. But maybe God's just answering the prayers that you prayed. Maybe he sees the next season and the next season and he knows until you learn this principle, you'll never be ready to walk in this. Until you let God work this out of your life, you'll never be ready to step into this. So stop asking God to get you out of something and start saying, God, keep me here until you've done all the work that you want to do in my life. That's the pit test, friends. Amen. Pray with me. God, I love you so much. God, I thank you that you do love us enough, Father. You love us enough to to put us in the pit. You love us enough to work things in us and out of us, God, because we only see what's happening right in front of us. But, God, you knew every day of our life before we lived a single one of them. God, you know what's coming next and what's after that and what's after that. And, God, you know what we need, God. So, God, help us when we're in these pit seasons just to trust you. And have have the response like Jesus that says, Lord, not my will, God, but your will be done. God, leave us in this pit till you've done everything you need to do in us and through us. God, we love you. We thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I love you guys. Have a great, great, great rest of your week. Men's breakfast Saturday morning. See you guys.